because I've, I've got me and I know who I am at my core and I know what my values are. And so learning how to be alone has actually been one of my biggest lessons in self-love. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Welcome to How Do You Feel? If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the show, then I'm so happy to have you. I have an awesome episode in store for you this week. Just a little bit about me. I am a strength coach in Toronto, Ontario. I'm also a nutritional therapy practitioner in training, and I'm also a wife and a dog mom and obviously a podcast host. On this show, you can expect to learn a lot about functional, sustainable fitness. We talk a lot about holistic, sustainable nutrition. We talk about mindset. We delve into spirituality a little bit. We talk about relationships. We talk about sex. We cover so many different things. But the overall message behind this show is the importance of dialing in and understanding how you're feeling. When we stop worrying about all the external bullshit, all the labels, the aesthetics, whatever image we're trying to uphold, the show and the fakeness that surrounds us in our society and on social media right now, when we strip all of that away, what is at the core? How are you feeling deep down? Do you know yourself? Do you love yourself? Do you understand what types of fitness and nutrition and daily habits are right for you? Each week, I bring on guests that help us have that conversation in some way, shape, or form. I think especially in the fitness industry, we get so caught up in the bullshit and I'm kind of over it. I want to have the real conversations and I want to normalize conversations around taboo things like eating disorders and self-love and mental illness and sexuality. I've been on quite a journey of learning to understand and dial into the signals that my body is sending me and how I'm feeling mentally. And it's obviously always a work in progress and it always will be, but honest to God, my favorite part of the week is getting to come on here and share it with you guys. And so many of you have been so lovely about reaching out and sharing your stories as well. So thank you so much for that. I'm not gonna lie, this last week in my life has been kind of insane. Eric and I decided that we're gonna be taking off to Europe for three weeks. And we leave on Thursday. So it's kind of been a last minute whirlwind kind of planning, figure out life, make sure everything's okay here kind of week. I'm trying to bank up some podcast episodes for you guys so they can keep coming out while we're away. And I'm trying to get caught up in all my schoolwork. So I kind of feel like a crazy person right now, but I know it's all going to be worth it in the end, obviously, when I'm eating tapas in the sun in Spain. I can't wait. For now, though, I have a very special guest on this episode. This week, I interviewed Alex Grant. Alex is a former NCAA gymnast, but now she's also a mindset coach. 
She speaks to a lot of athletes about the transition after sport into the real world and discovering and finding out who you are when you're not tied to the identity of being an athlete. She is also a strength trainer, a yoga teacher, overall a badass. She is a self-proclaimed dog lover. She's really an incredible human, and I had so much fun talking to her on the podcast. We did delve into her gymnastics career a little bit, but we talked mostly about identity and relationships and her journey with learning how to set boundaries in relationships in her life and only keeping those relationships that are really serving her. I think there's so many things to be taken away from this episode about self-love and really knowing who you are. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Alex Grant. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank I'm you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on and get the chance to talk with you. I want to start back when you were a kid. You were a gymnast growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm curious when you were a gymnast, how often you trained and how many hours a week you spent training because it can be a really intense sport. Yeah, so I started when I was three. By the age of seven, I was competitive. So once I turned competitive, uh, my hours went to from like 16 hours from when I was like about seven to probably eight or nine and then escalated up to 25 to 30 hours a week. That's a lot. It's a lot. That's a (laughs) part-time job on top of school. Yeah, yeah. It's like I've had a full-time job basically since I was about 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you always love it? No. I had a very love-hate relationship with gymnastics. Um, I actually went to a sports psychologist for about eight years out of my career that started at the age of 12. And the reason that I went to go and see him was because I had this huge anxiety around the sport and there was a fear of success but also a fear of failure and I was kind of stuck in the middle Um, and so I went to him to help me manage my thoughts and if I wanted to continue on in the sport I needed help so it it was always a love-hate relation I wouldn't say hate but it was very very challenging Um, the highs are really high and, and the lows are really low it is such an individual thing and you rely so much on a, a performance in one moment that I imagine for a preteen that can be really challenging to handle those feelings of anxiety. Did you ever think about stopping? I did actually. So I got to a point, I think I was 11 years old and I was crying every single day in the gym. I would leave sobbing, I'd go in sobbing. Um, (laughs) My day started with stress of getting there. And then if I finished practice and it was an okay day, it was a huge victory. But my my time of feeling that victory was probably about an hour after practice. And then I would go right back into anxiety because I had to prepare for the next day. It was a lot of wear and tear. Where do you think all that anxiety came from? A lot of it, I think, was actually created from myself and my own expectations and how I identified myself with wanting to be the successful athlete. Mm-hmm. The gym that I went to was very highly competitive, was known in Canada, and the expectation was either you're going to a Division One school for a scholarship, you're going to Worlds, Olympics, Commonwealth, Pan Ams. Like, that is the trajectory, and if you're not doing that, you've probably quit. Wow. (laughs) So So much pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And um, all of that pressure, you know, eventually buckled down to me departing from the sport um, for a year. But um, when was that? That so that was when I was about 10 years old. So that's so I was okay. I was Mm. upset every day. I was crying every day. And I really just lost heart in it. 
the emotion, the stress, anxiety eventually just led me to say, I I cannot do this on a day-to-day basis anymore. So for that year, I went into competitive diving and dance and I paced my halls at night being like, this is not enough. Like Mm. I'm not challenged. So I had let go of this thing that had given me so much anxiety, but everything else that I did seemed like it wasn't the same. And so I was like, okay, I need to go back. But by me leaving, it actually gave me the fuel that I needed for the remainder of my career because I was able to become very clear in my why and my purpose, which allowed me to push through all of the really tough times. Wow. Yeah, you realized that that was your true love. Yeah. That's where you belonged. So a hard day. I knew what a hard day looked like at that point. because So when I came back, I was like, okay, well, I know what the worst looks like. Mm. So if I know if I can prepare for that, and if I can get my head around that, then I'm, I can prepare myself for the next eight years. And I knew what my goal was. I didn't want to go to the Olympics. I decided I wanted a Division One scholarship. And that's what I was after. Hmm. Why did so you choose that? I saw the girls that were training for the Olympics. And I just didn't want that life. It was a lot of pressure. It was very, very diligent. And gymnastics is always disciplined, but they didn't have a lot of freedom. And I'm a soul that I I love a little bit of freedom. And I was always also the rebel in the gym. I was kind of the wild card. Like <laughs> I competed with purple hair. I got my nose pierced when I was 16. And I was this, you know, the, the wild child. I was child. the wild child. <laughs> yeah, the judges always knew me as that person. It was always, you know, it was I was kind of just controversial in, in that space. Um, and I chose Division One school because all the girls who came back from their scholarships, they seemed so happy. And it's like they fell in love with the sport. And I didn't even know what that world looked like. But when they came back and they were so happy and in love with their sport and just relaxed, I was like, that's what I want. Wow, that that's it's just so, so reflective and so intuitive as a 12 to 16 year old or whenever all of these things are going through your head and you're processing all of these things that's that's a lot to realize and understand about yourself it's pretty incredible yeah it makes you grow up really fast Mm -hmm. yeah because you're making decisions like even when I quit when I was 11 years old my mom said to me she said if you decide to leave gymnastics this is not a decision where you're going to change your mind in two days and and we're going to go back to the gym if you're choosing to leave you're choosing to leave so it took me a long time to, to have the courage to even walk into the gym and say, I don't want to be here anymore because my identity was wrapped up in my sport. So by choosing to not be a gymnast, I didn't know what I was choosing to be. And so, yeah, it was this huge shift. And um, I, I mean, in the end, it was a blessing because I needed the year in order to become clear on why gymnastics was a bigger part of my story. And it didn't just end there. Yeah, that makes sense. What role did your parents play in all of this? Were they encouraging of you? Were they part of putting the pressure on you? I'm very blessed in that both of my parents were very supportive. And they were in the gymnastics world, but they didn't know everything about it. And so I remember there's one competition where I fell on bars and... um, I was devastated because I fell, and <laughs> that's like a very seems humbling like the, moment. Seems like the ultimate failure, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's the thing you're most Absolutely. afraid of. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm like leaving the competition, and everything else went good, and mm-hmm. I fell. That's the one thing I'm holding on to. Of course. And my mom was like, "You, you did so well," and I was like, "Mom, I fell," and she's like, "Oh, that that wasn't supposed to happen," and I was like, "Ah, oh, no." Oh. <laughs> but at the same time, it was such a blessing because whatever I did 
she was so thrilled about. Mm -hmm. And um, she's an athlete herself. She's done multiple Ironmans, and she's been a marathon runner for many years, and my dad was also an athlete. So they kind of understood pressure and the need to have a little bit of space. And my, my parents were always like, whatever makes you happy is what we want you to do, but you have to own those decisions that are going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. So my parents always kept me very accountable, but it also kind of came with this big pressure on me to make big decisions that I knew were going to impact the next, next 10 years of my life. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your decision to go to college mm-hmm. and what that experience was like. What was it like to be a gymnast in college? You went to the States. Mm-hmm. You're from Canada, from, from Toronto. Toronto. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then you decided to go to the States and go to school. What was that experience like? Oh, man. College was amazing. College was amazing. It taught me so much about myself through even the journey of getting there. I was recruited by a bunch of different schools. So one of some of the key ones were Auburn, Utah State. Michigan and and Iowa State. I ended up going to Iowa State because on these recruiting trips, you get to meet the team and you get to meet the coaches. And the girls at Iowa State, there was no, girls can be cliquey, as we know. And at Iowa State, it felt like a cohesive unit of girls. And I felt like, well, if I'm going to spend half of my day or more with a team, I want it to be this team. So I guess I'm moving to the cornfields. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what is even in Iowa? There's like nothing. Not a lot. So um, yeah, middle of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was an amazing experience. I tore my Achilles my freshman year. So I had to redshirt. Um, There were a lot of ups and downs, probably some of my most challenging moments mentally. But I also learned the importance of being on a team, learning how to use my team. And learning reciprocated relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when you're there for me, I'm also there for you. And the power of that and how being on one page with a bunch of people with the same vision can just launch you forward. And, like, being on a cohesive team that does that, it's like you feel limitless. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was, it's a, it was a beautiful experience. That's yeah. awesome. That yeah. sounds so powerful yeah. and pretty unique um, when it does come to finding like groups of women. I think a lot of us go through our whole lives not knowing what it feels like to really be truly supported by a group of people. It's such an empowering experience. And it's something that I've taken from my sport and into my life and a, and a value that if I'm like I'm always surrounded by other women who are empowered and who know how to support. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that's also the epitome of reciprocated relationships, right, is I know how to support you and I'm emotionally aware of you and vice versa. You mentioned a little bit about how gymnastics became such an integral part of your identity and who you were. And I know that you've talked a little bit about how You associate so much self-worth with that identity that you create for yourself in your head. And then it ends. You move on. Gymnastics wasn't forever. How were you able to create a new identity for yourself outside of gymnastics? So it's funny you ask that because it's actually what has launched me into the career that I have now. When I moved back home to Canada, I felt not grounded at all. That was my full-time job for 19 years is, is being a student athlete, right? And I remember I was sitting across from the table in this interview. The interviewer was, was asking me, he's like, okay, so, you know, what's your work experience? I said, well, you know, I've competed nationally. 
in Canada at a very high level, and then I've, you know, competed internationally representing Canada, and then I've also, you know, gone to the States, and through that I've, like, coached all these different camps, and he said, okay, so you've never had a real job before. And it was like this, like, stab to the heart of, oh my God, I put my blood, sweat, and tears, and learned these foundational life lessons, and you've totally just dismissed them in, in one moment. Mm-hmm. It it was very unnerving because the NCAA is not necessarily recognized in Canada. Not everyone knows what it is. Really? Whereas in the States, athletics is so much, right? Mm -hmm. So So much respect for an NCAA athlete. Yeah. The unraveling of that identity came down pretty hard. And I had to learn how to follow the clues of the things that fuel me. I have two teammates, one who went to UCLA and one who went to Iowa State with me, actually. And they both live in Toronto. And I'm very lucky to have them here because they went through a very similar experience. Um, But slowly through following the clues and through, you know, the humble beginnings of of starting over again um, and taking all the foundational lessons that I learned through sport, I was able to very slowly curate a life of, of alignment. But it did take a lot of trials and failures and eventually... I ended up connecting with Vince, who is the founder of the Legacy Coaching, and now we work together on speaking with athletes on identifying who they are beyond what they do, which has evolved even further into (laughs) my own personal coaching and speaking work. It's been quite the journey to get here. Yeah, but every piece led to the next, right? Like, it's so cool that you were able to sort of follow your gut and dive into some of those things that were interesting you and maybe some of your strengths. And then it led you to be able to do this work that you wouldn't be doing if you didn't have those 19 years of gymnastics experience. Yeah, I definitely want to learn more about what it is that you do with the legacy coaching and then your own personal coaching. Like, What are some of the things that you're doing with people to help them make this transition like you did? It's a great question because it's definitely one that I'm still exploring. Um, With the legacy coaching, Vince and I, we've gone into different universities, um, spoken at a a couple of Lululemons, and really what our whole message is, is learning who you are at your core. So if everything in your world and all these labels, you know, social media handles, career names, um, whatever it is, like homeowner, whatever these labels are that we have about ourselves, if all of that went away, what are we left with? So that's the work that we do, and we really hold space for people to be able to reflect and to come back to those core values of what exists within them and remembering that being a homeowner, having a certain salary, a job title, which is always transient, none of those things actually mean anything except for the meaning that we put on them. So that's the work that I do with Vince. In my own life, it is very similar. My whole foundation is all about spreading love and coming back to a place of remembrance. So remembering who you are, I do a lot of work on setting boundaries. Boundaries has been a huge lesson for me. So I help people identify where they need to build parameters and safety nets within their own life and enable for them to grow in the most authentic direction that allows them to thrive in their best possible life. Where have you found in your life that you've needed to learn to set boundaries? Whew, well. <laughs> Everywhere? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I was a doormat for years. Um, I was in a nine-year relationship that came to an end, and it was a very 
it felt like my world imploded last year and I stepped away. So it was my nine year relationship that I, that I ended up walking away from all of my jobs. So I was teaching classes all around the city. Mm -hmm. I had my own personal training base. Him and I, we had our own, my, my old partner and I, we had our own fitness community. I was doing freelance work in the event production world. I literally just washed my hands of all of it with zero plan and left for the West Coast and wow. landed in LA and um, I was working there for a bit and then just created my own path from there. Um, I learned through that process and really stripping everything back from my life that I didn't have any respect for myself and, and what I stood for and that it showed itself in every facet of my life. In my work life, I had no work-life balance. I'd work insane hours till three in the morning, wake up at six in the morning. You know, my relationship, there was moments of uh, infidelity, disrespect, and I tolerated it. That's my, that's my piece of it, is I enabled, right? And by enabling, that's, I'm not respecting myself, and so I showed him how to, how to treat me, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's how I was treating myself. My family life, I made myself an island. So I had no boundaries and I felt like I was lost in space. And, you know, then I'd victimize like, oh, my God, I don't have any time. Oh, my God, my work life is crazy. What's happening with all my relationships? Where am I going? What is the meaning of this life? When is when is everything going to calm down? Why do I feel always lost and confused? Why am I always complaining? Why am I always exhausted? Like, why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. And by being able to set boundaries, which has been very difficult because setting boundaries requires letting go letting go of relationships, letting go of friendships, letting go of illusions of what you thought things were. It's very humbling. I've cried many times <laughs> setting boundaries, and it's also been the thing that has set me free. Wow. I can relate to a lot of those things that you're talking about and this like learning to have enough respect for yourself to know what parts of your life are serving you. I definitely also... I think I had this realization a couple years ago that I actually did not know how to set boundaries. And I was so busy with pleasing everybody else and doing a good enough job for everybody else that there were no boundaries in my life. So that process of learning that you can say no, when to say no, what relationships in your life serve you, it's quite a process. 100%. And when I realized I had no boundaries, it was like a bag of bricks that just came and just like hit me across the side of the head. That was like, (laughs) wake up because you are a doormat to your life. Yeah, when you realize that you're in that place and how much work that has to be done in order to course correct, Mm -hmm. it it is very, very humbling. Definitely. And coming to a place, it's actually funny. So I've been working with my, my therapist on identifying there's like a dramatic relational cycle and then there's a healthy relational cycle. Mm, interesting. And so I realized that I've been labeled as a rescuer. So helping people so that they're not victimizing themselves. So it goes from rescuer to victim to perpetrator or bully. Mm. And there's a cycle of, of the people who are in this dramatic circle and, and you kind of rotate roles. And then there's this other circle that is instead of rescuer, it's caring. So instead of having sympathy, I have empathy. And then I go into vulnerability. Here's what I can offer you and here's what I can't offer you. 
but I can share this space with you and that also loops in vulnerability. I'm not fixing anymore, I'm sharing space and offering support where I can still show up and fuel myself too. I love that. Yeah. You have been talking a lot on social lately about the importance of creating space for yourself when relationships aren't reciprocal Mm -hmm. and how healing that can be. So it's, it's along the lines of setting these boundaries, but what do you feel like you've learned about relationships and the ones that actually serve you in the last couple of years? I notice that the ones that serve me fuel me. I leave exchanges, coffee dates, dinner dates, walks, whatever it is, feeling fueled and lifted as opposed to feeling like I need to go home and rest. When I leave reciprocated or any people where I've connected with who who are able to reciprocate, I feel inspired, motivated, collaborative. It's almost like a world opens up. And I notice when I'm, I'm working with people who I'm not in alignment with, I feel drained, tired, sometimes used. Hmm. The clearer I become, I feel like the more, you know, universe or source or whatever you want to call it has really <laughs> like done this like clear path of like here's who fuels you and here's who doesn't and it's become very clear and so now when I'm meeting new people I can very quickly tell who I can mesh with and who I is not meant for me. If you have a long-term relationship that you realize isn't reciprocal and you realize you're getting those drained feelings from it mm-hmm. how do you go about creating space with that one because It can be really challenging when there's a lot of history there. It's a great question, and I wish I had, like, an answer that would work for everybody. In my experience, creating space is very hard, especially when you're with somebody and you're trying to do all this work and to help it get better, and maybe the other person isn't showing up to do that work. It has to be two-way, right? It has to be two-way. Like, there's going to be, no matter what relationship, platonic, familial, romantic, it doesn't matter, there's going to be conflict. Mm. And so if you're working with somebody else who's able to take accountability for their actions, hear you out and be able to empathize both ways in a safe space with no judgment and to listen humbly without defense, if that's not there... It doesn't mean that it can't get there. So I'm gonna take the romantic example. If you're in a relationship and you're finding yourself as trying to be this fixer, in the beginning, I think it's okay because it's like you love this person so much that you're willing to do whatever it takes to lift the relationship back up to what you, it once was or what you believe it could be. But I think that only goes so far because you have to be able to fill your own cup. And if you're loving somebody more than you love yourself, you will lose yourself in that process and you start to lose your Mm self-identity. The other person, if they're not willing to take accountability, if I'm voicing something that I'm, for example, you really hurt me because you knew that I was stressed out from work and you still didn't put the dishes away. And that's adding to my stress and I don't like that. Instead of saying, you know what? I knew that you were really stressed out. And when I got home, I knew that you wanted me to do that. And I didn't do that because I got stuck on my phone and I was scrolling through social media and I lost track of time. And I apologize and I'm gonna do that right now. 
that feels helpful and I feel recognized and heard versus someone who is saying, well, yeah, but I had a long day of work too. And yeah, you told me you were stressed, but I'm, I'm also stressed. And it's like, okay, well now there's this boomerang effect of like the thing that I thought was going to help me and how I voiced my needs is now being boomeranged back into my body. I felt like it lived in my nervous system mm. and that's how resentment started. And so it can start with these teeny, teeny, tiny things But over the course of time, patterns always prevail. So if someone's not willing to take accountability, someone's not willing to do the work, that is a pattern of a human being. And if they are not willing to do the work to break that pattern, it comes down to you drawing the line of how, how much am I willing to tolerate before I need to draw this line? If I do need space in this relationship, let's come together to an agreement of I need a week of no talking, of just space. And I need to be able to trust you. And here's the parameters of what space means. Mm. Are Could we you do both that? in alignment? Unfortunately not. Okay, <laughs> just curious. <laughs> that would be hard. Um, I, I was just curious. <laughs> you know, at the time, I tried to create that. But again, I wasn't in a reciprocated relationship. So even if I had attempted that conversation, was it received or heard on the other end? I don't believe so. I mean, I poured my heart and soul into trying to, I stood by when I was the most hurt I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I still was like, I still think this can work until it didn't. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people stay in relationships that aren't good for them for so long? It happens all the time and we just, I mean, I guess it's because we're so hopeful, but people stay in things that are hurting them for a long time. I stayed in something that was hurting me for a long time. There used to be shame in divorce. And now there's shame in staying. So it's like... So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're choosing to stay in your relationship, but you can just leave. Mm -hmm. And now there's Bumble and Tinder and all these other things that have all these other options. And why would you stay? There's so many psychological complexities to staying. It comes down to a lot of what you believe to be true about yourself, but also the conditioning of your relationship. So two healthy people are able to identify this isn't working, we've done everything that we can, mutually and respectfully, let's let's walk away, and if it's meant to be, it'll be. When you're working with toxic relationships, it is a totally different ballgame, especially when you, you know, you start throwing narcissistic tendencies into the mix. Mm. It is a manipulative mind game. So what someone might be able to see from the outside of, you know, one of my really good friends is in this relationship with somebody and I know she's unhappy and I know she can be better and be with somebody who's going to make her flourish. But how do I get her to see that? The truth is, is that you can't. Until that person, until your friend is able to see the value within him or herself, they will not be able to leave that relationship, especially if there's those hooks and that toxic triangle cycle of, I love you so much, I love you so much, but you're not enough, and nothing that you do is enough, and why couldn't you do all these other things, And but I love you, and you'll, you always mean so much to me. It's this loop, this mm. constant hooking back in. You hold on to high moments. So safe relationships and healthy relationships are almost boring, right? Like love is blue, it's not red. Love is peace, calm, safety, harmony. Toxic relationships, you get these like fiery, passionate relationships. Like when we come together, it's everything. And then when you're apart, it's like the whole world is is crashing down. That's not safe. It's volatile. I can imagine that if you were going to try to leave a toxic relationship, the mind games and the guilt that would be put on you in that moment of you saying, 
I need to leave would also be so challenging. Like the amount of negativity that would be put on you from that other person would also be so much to withstand as opposed to this more mutual like understanding of a relationship that you're talking about where they can say, I respect you enough to understand why you need to walk away or why you're saying this to me. I can imagine a toxic relationship would not have that at all. Toxic relationships, I feel like, can be like death by a thousand cuts. It comes down to, I I love this person so much, but they've taken so much from me little by little, like these little tiny paper cuts that eventually I'm like bleeding out and I didn't even realize it. What have you learned about the meaning of self-love and self-respect since you left your relationship? I've learned that it's self-defined. I learned that it evolves in the beginning. What self-love looked like for me was trying to sleep and eat you know the next phase of that was creating space and learning how to be alone and it didn't always feel like self-love but as I learned to hold space for myself now I always show people a door because I'm okay if people leave because I've, I've got me and I know who I am at my core and I know what my values are and so learning how to be alone has actually been one of my biggest lessons in self-love movement and working out and sweating has always been I always call it my active meditation it can also be toxic like I think for a while I pushed myself beyond my boundaries even though I was tired and stressed I'd be like but I have to do these big lifts and I have to wake up and do an hour and a half workout and now I'm like today feels like it's a yoga day and today I'm going to deadlift but I may not put two plates on the bar this today because my body's feeling really tired and I'm honoring I'm honoring that that's and huge. Because I know that my body is sometimes and more often smarter than my, my mind. Our bodies are smart. They're very smart. Definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of power in your words. I can feel that like you know that and like you know what self-love means for you now. It's pretty beautiful. Thank you. It took me a long time to get here. Mm-hmm. Fair. You just turned 30. I did! <laughs> Congrats, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. New milestone. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look back on your 20s, what do you think you'll remember? What will stand out the most? Well, I had an intentional birthday this year. Tell me what that means. Yeah, Yeah. I'll tell you what that means. Um, I sent out letters to eight of my closest friends and family and people who have always been able to see me when I haven't been able to see myself. And I asked them five questions. They wrote me letters, and I asked for it either in snail mail or a written letter, whatever it was, and I had a big birthday party on Sunday where they came with their letters. At this party, I've only selected people who I love, and it was a very, it was a small group. I say small group, but it ended up being like 25. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but people of all different walks of life. So mm-hmm. I had my aunts. My mom is one of six girls, so I had some of my aunts there. You know, my gymnastics community, my, um, my speaking community, and, and my working community all people who have played a really big role, especially in my journey over the past year and a half that have helped me get to this place and who I feel safe with. So all those people came into this room and we celebrated love and conscious connections. And so I had a book where they were able to write me their words of wisdom and advice going into the next decade and forever more of my life. We took photos, we shared stories, I had speeches. It was really, really beautiful. And I think all of this came from reflecting on my 20s and thinking it was huge lessons and huge growth. 
And I don't even actually think that I knew when I was receiving the lessons, like how many lessons were actually ingrained in my 20s. And a lot of people were like, man, that's a nine-year relationship. That's a lot of your time. And yes, it is. However, I was in a very, I was in a committed relationship. Like I was with this person for better or for worse. Like I stood there even when I needed a table to help me stand up. And I learned how to stick through the mud for myself. I also learned what I want. I was able to redefine what love means for me. I was able to understand myself and how I define self-love. I was able to zoom out of my life and gain a bigger perspective on how I wish to see the world and the changes that I can make to, to be that change. And then I started making decisions and setting boundaries to only work in things that I am truly aligned with because I know what happens when I'm not in alignment and I'm pushing forward and it doesn't feel good. And so in my 30s, that is my commitment to myself. I love that. So we're going to round this out running low-ish on time. I've got a quick fire round for you. Ooh. So quick questions, quick answers. (laughs) Hey, I'll do my best. You ready? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) What is your favorite thing to do with your dog? Watch her jump in the pool. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) She's a swimmer. She's a swimmer. She's like a free soul. I just love her to bits. Oh, that's so good. What's the coolest trick you can do? As a gymnast, I assume there are many. <laughs> oh, I was going to say oh. feel people's energy. Oh, okay. Even better. Great. <laughs> Not even what I was thinking at <laughs> all, but I love that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I love that. Yeah. Would you rather have a house on the ocean or on the lake? Oh, I've really gone by. This is a fire round. I shouldn't be taking this long. Gut reaction. Ooh, gut reaction. Lake. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. I thought roots. maybe with going out to LA that you would say ocean, but. Lake's my roots, though. Cool. It's, yeah. yeah, my family and um, freshwater and saltwater are different. And I, I've thought about this a lot, actually. Mm. I mean, ideally, I'm a girl. I love options, so I'll, I'll have both. But. Both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to choose. <laughs> and yeah, and you don't have to sometimes, right? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Okay, I have one that is coming to mind, but it oh, I feel guilty every time. <laughs> Look at me like, what is it? I don't know what it's, that means. <laughs> oh, I know. I just, I don't even want to say it, but it's like the thing that's coming up, so I'm going to say it. Um, alpaca. Is that something to be guilty about? Is that bad? I, well, okay. So my experience with alpacas <laughs> is, so I was in Peru. Yeah. And they were like, it's yeah. a delicacy. And right. like, I was with locals and they were like, put it in front of me. They're like, eat. And I was like, well, here we go. You know, and I did mm-hmm. it. But my experience with alpacas is I had this one interaction with this one while I was on the road in Peru. It was this white alpaca, and for some reason I went up to it and I gave it a hug. But he, like, leaned into me. Oh. I'll never forget this moment with this alpaca. It was, like, this moment of love and that he knew and, like, that he could offer that. And so he did. And so we shared this beautiful hug and then... A couple weeks later, I'm, like, eating alpaca, and I was like, God, my heart, like, how could I have done this? But when you're with locals, I was like, if I don't, they will not like that. So I ate it. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. You know what? I've been thinking, actually, a lot. I've always eaten meat, but Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about – I don't think I'll ever be a vegetarian, but I've been thinking about what it is for an animal to sacrifice their life for us to eat them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my perspective on it is if I can – 
be there and show gratitude for that meat and think about that life that was and that is now becoming a part of me and nourishing me and now serving my life, I feel like I have a lot more peace with it than just mindlessly eating. Yeah, consuming and eating all the animal products. I am aligned with you on that 100%. And I think that the aboriginals actually do that in a very mindful way. And Brazilians, I think, as well, they do that in a very mindful way. Of They bless their meat before they kill it. And then you get this cycle of, like, gratitude from, like, the life to the plate, so to speak. And then as a, as a consumer, if you're always still feeling gratitude, I think that that thread is woven in through that whole experience. But then I also think that there is a lot of mindless killing. Totally. And with everything going on in the Amazon right now, it's, like, that is seeded with poor intention and we are consuming the poor intention (laughs) my last question for you and the not so fiery yeah i know (laughs) well i kind of like dove into a couple of them there oh well (laughs) what makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning oh man the first thing that came up is people i love people even um where i work the team that i've created i think that they're the most amazing people the people i speak with i love them i've weeded out a lot of relationships in my life and so the ones that remain I have whole hearts for awesome yeah if people want to connect with you or maybe come to one of your speaking events um, how should they go about doing that Okay, so I'm in the middle of rebranding. So usually I have my website. My website is down right now. Instagram is probably the best way and my email is connected to that as well. Um, So that is alexgrant.xo on Instagram. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Great chats. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Remember, we release a new episode every Monday morning. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and CastBox. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the show. Every review really does go a long way. I appreciate every single one of them so, so much. If you're liking what you're hearing on the show, please share it with a family member or friend that you think could benefit from listening to the things that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.